so good to see everybody here today, and I'm thankful that you're here. You know, I wanted to start by making a, a very quick announcement. This Wednesday, here at the church at 645, is our basketball program all-star game. Now, if you don't know what that's about, you know how we have the basketball program going on on Saturdays? Well, the kids who are the oldest, they have an all-star game. And you may think about it and say, oh, it's just basketball kids playing basketball. No, actually, it's bigger than that. You know, when those kids get out of the basketball program and they leave elementary school, they go on to junior high and high school. They may not be able to be in a basketball program anymore, but they could be in Robert's youth ministry program. That's where we want them, right? Now, one way we accomplish this is by getting to know them a little bit better and getting to know their parents a little bit better. So what Alvin would like you to do, he's the guy who's over this, is he'd like you to come to the All-Star game, but I want you to come with a mission. Meet somebody there, love on them, and tell them how awesome our youth program is and how bad we want their kid there. It's not just going and watching the game or shaking someone's head and saying, I'm glad you're here. We have a mission from God, amen? Jesus came to seek and save the lost, amen? We're going to have lost people in there on Wednesday, amen? Lord willing, if we get to Wednesday, they're going to be lost people. God wants us to do something about it. Now, Robert's an excellent youth minister, but he needs our help. We got to let the parents know how excellent of a youth minister we have and how we love for their kids to be there. Now, imagine they hear about four people tell them about how awesome the youth ministry program is. You think you may get one of them to give it a try? I think so. So this Wednesday, please attend the All-Star Game. Watch the game. It's going to be fun. It's going to be great. But come with a missional mind to help bring some of these kids to the Lord and hopefully their parents too. Amen? All right. When's the All-Star Game? What time does it start? Amen. All right. Um, Friday was a pretty big day, wasn't it? On Friday, our sister Linda Alexander, we celebrated the life and legacy that she lived. Linda Alexander sits right back where you see Greg and Glenn Alexander right now. And we know when a believer leaves this earth, where do they go, church? Forever. That's why it's a celebration of the life and legacy. And if you were there, you heard a lot of awesome things about Linda, how she was a servant. But one thing I learned uh, yesterday that Lana shared with me is even toward the very end, Linda was an organ donor. It's still given to people right now. She was a, a blessing to all of us. She always welcomed me in, in her home, and she welcomed everybody in their home. And this is somebody that we're going to see again in heaven. Amen. And it was a beautiful service and it actually changed, it changed my sermon this morning. Because during the service, there was a song that was at, that, that was chosen to be played called I'm Moving On by Rascal Flats. And for the believer, we think about I'm moving on. We think about how a believer moves on from this world and goes on to eternity with Jesus. They move on, amen? But then there's this, also this other part of moving on that we have to go through, right? When we lose the person we love and they're in heaven, but we're still here on earth and we have to move on. 
Now, I'm not a naive preacher. When I was 22, as y'all know, I lost my 24-year-old brother. He died before his time. And I'm here to tell you, moving on is incredibly hard. And I, I never say silly things like, you shouldn't hurt. Or, or you, it's hard to move on. I struggled. I, I moved on in some healthy ways. I also moved on in some unhealthy ways. Because I didn't really know how to move on. But one thing that happens is you wake up the next day, you begin moving. And you either move on in a healthy or an unhealthy way. And today I want to talk about how to move on in, in a healthy way. You guys remember Peter and Judas? They both messed up with Jesus. They both failed Jesus, and they had to move on. Judas moved on in an unhealthy way that led to him killing himself. Peter moved on to a healthy way that led to Jesus redeeming him. And Peter came back in Acts and tore it up, didn't he, on the day of Pentecost. Peter did a lot of awesome things for the Lord after he made a mistake, didn't he? And Peter's in heaven for eternity, right? That's what I'm interested in. I'm interested in, and what did Peter do? And what did people in the Bible do who actually moved on in healthy ways so that God still used them? They still had joy, and they still had hope. Uh, on Facebook, somebody put this um, this quote up, and, and, and I want to read it. I, I have it up here on the, on the slide for you. It says, Dear Jesus, I know I can't change it, but you can help me accept it and move on to a brighter tomorrow with hope in my heart. This morning, my question for you is, what's your it? When this quote says, I know I can't change it, what, what's your it? What's that, what's that thing in your life that, that you can't change, but you have to accept so that you can move on to a brighter tomorrow with hope in your heart? What, 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 what's that it? You don't have to say it out loud, but just think about it. It may be the loss of a job. You can't change that. It may be a health condition. That may be your it. You can't change. It may be a relationship you lost. You can't change. You, you may have lost your purity in the past. You can't change. You may have lost a good reputation be anything. I know I can't change it, but Jesus, you can help me accept it and move on to a brighter tomorrow with hope in my heart. I want to share some stories in the Bible about how God can give us that hope in our heart to help us move on in healthy ways. I want you to pray with me as we go into it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Help me say, help me say, exactly what you once said. Hallowed be your name. And I ask for your power and your grace to be on me to say things that can help us move forward with you to accomplish your will in healthy ways. In Jesus' name, amen. If you could turn with me to Genesis chapter 4, verses 25 and 26. Before we put that up on the slide, I want to give you the background. It, it's a story about it's a very popular story about Adam and Eve, but it's the part of the story that, that we often leave out. Of course, Adam and Eve were created by God, and they were in paradise. And when I say paradise, I mean imagine a world with no sexism, racism, murder. Imagine a world with no death. Imagine a world where no one's talking about excruciating pain because no one's ever felt that. Imagine a world where the presence of God, I believe, was, was there in a way that we don't even understand right now. 
Imagine a world where you can have food and everybody can have food and, and, and there is a peace and, and there is a tranquility. Uh, the Garden of Eden was a, was a paradise before all bad stuff happened. Adam and Eve were in this paradise with God. Then they sinned, messed up, and were kicked out of the paradise. Then they had children. One child named Cain, the older brother, another child named Abel, the younger brother. And, and, and their youngest child, Abel, was murdered. Their youngest child, Abel, was murdered by their oldest child, Cain. And when Cain murdered Abel, God banished Cain, where Adam and Eve would never see Cain again. So essentially, Adam and Eve lost Abel and Cain. Now imagine this. You're kicked out of the Garden of Eden because of your sin. You lose both of your children. And you're in a house together. How do you move on from that? You know, a, a lot of marriages right there, you, you can see the finger pointing. Eve, it's all your fault if you just didn't do this with the fruit. Oh, Adam, it's all your fault if you were leading like you were supposed to, you know? Or one of the leading causes of divorce is losing a child. You know, it's like it, getting kicked out of Garden of Eden is worse than you and your spouse losing your job at the same time and trying to figure out what to do. And imagine losing both of your children at that time. Wonder, well, is it our fault? Is there something we did that made Cain act so crazy? The, the amount of pressure and stress that was on Adam and Eve in this moment would have broke most marriages. But I want you to look at what Adam and Eve did. This is part of the story we don't read a lot. Verse 25. And the Word of God says, After all this happened, Adam made love to his wife again. And she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. At that time, people began to do what, church? Call on the name of the Lord. I want to talk about this for a moment. Sentence by sentence, after all this bad stuff happens in Adam and Eve's life and marriage, says Adam made love to his wife again. And a lot of people say, oh, that's easy, making love to your wife again. No, actually, uh, intimacy, you know how many times people have come to me telling me my spouse and I haven't been intimate for a year. One time somebody told me 10 years. One time somebody told me even 30 years. And it's because there were unresolved things that were going on. And sometimes the first thing to leave is the intimacy. But Adam and Eve are still fulfilling that duty to each other during these difficult times in in their marriage and in their life. Now, Adam and Eve could have said, you know what? I don't want to have, he says, Adam made love to his wife again. Adam and Eve could have said, you know what? I don't want to do children again. Because look what happened with our first two children. We lose one of them, and the second one of them becomes a murderer. That's too much failure. Let's just, let's just not try anymore. Let's, let's just not do it anymore. No, that's not what they said. Adam made love to his wife again, and what happened? She gave birth to a son and named him Seth. God blessed what Adam and Eve did. Eve knew it because Eve said, God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. What am I saying this morning, church? Why am I reading this to you? I'm reading this to you because I want to make one point. Adam and Eve 
gave God something to work with after they messed up. And what they gave God to work with was all God needed to give them Seth. But for Adam and Eve to give God something to work with, they had to do something again. And what I'm saying this morning, church, to us is maybe God is calling you to do something again. Maybe the thing God's calling you to do again isn't what Adam and Eve had to do again. Maybe God's calling you to forgive your spouse again. And if you do that again, maybe God will bless it. Maybe God's telling you to love a sibling again. Even though there's been failures and problems in, in, in your family with this person for a long time, what if God's saying, love them again, and you love them again, you're giving God something to work with? Maybe you lost your purity, and maybe God's saying, pursue purity again and watch what I do in your life. Maybe you lost your sobriety, and God's saying, pursue sobriety again and watch what I do in your life. Maybe you stopped evangelizing, and God's saying, evangelize again and watch what I do in your life. Maybe you quit doing ministry, you quit song leading, you quit doing something in the past because bad things happened when you tried. And what if God's saying today, try again? See, if Adam and Eve don't give God anything to work with, how can God work in a situation? Because a lot of things with God, we call the Great Commission, it's, it's co, us and God, but God created us to do things with him, meaning we have to play a part in the redemption story, amen? Jesus can die on the cross for us all day, but if we don't accept the gospel and repent and be baptized, how can he save us? We have a role to play in this thing, amen? And what we have to do after we fail in life, what we have to do after everything goes wrong in our life is we got to trust God again. We got to put faith in God again. We got to put hope in God again, because if we don't, like Adam and Eve, if Adam and Eve didn't do anything, they wouldn't have any more kids. You know what? Their whole lineage is dead. There's no Seth if Adam and Eve don't try again. Now, I got a question for you. How many people know who Noah is? And what did Noah do? Noah saved humanity by building an ark that eight people were saved on. Amen. Those eight people, all of us in this room come from. So we're all related, okay? I know everybody in East Grand's related, and everybody in Springfield's related, but actually everybody's related because we all come from those eight people, amen? But here's my question. Did Noah come from the lineage of Cain, Abel, or Seth? Seth. So if Seth isn't born, we have no Noah and we have no life. But the reason we still have life today is because Seth was born, and the only reason Seth was born is because Adam and Eve decided to try again. Do you understand sometimes when we try again, when we do something again, it's not just about us, it's about people down the road who need us? I'm so thankful Adam and Eve tried again and had Seth so Seth could have Noah so I could be alive today. And what I'm saying today is God is looking for us, some of us in this room who have failed messed up and had some horrible things happen, he's asking us to trust him again. If we just trust him again, watch what he will do. Not just to you, but through you. There's a Seth for you. And a Seth is simply something God will give you if you follow him again. Some of us need to lead devos in our home again. Some of us need to take some tests that we failed in school again. Some of us need to apply for jobs again. But if we just sit down and feel sorry for ourselves and don't do anything, nothing's going to happen. You know the shot you'll never make in life? It's the shot you never take. And sometimes we're so afraid of missing the shot, we never take any in life. And that's what Satan wants. It's time to take another shot for Jesus Christ again. Amen? Adam and Eve teach me something here that 
And I know this is a different type of sermon, but I, I just want you to, this is, real, this is real world here. Adam and Eve did something that was very wise here. Adam and Eve didn't focus on what they lost. They focused on what they still had. Adam and Eve lost both of their children, but they still had each other. So they used what they still had, and God blessed it. I understand sometimes we lose things, but I want you to take a moment in life and look at what you still have and think about how you can give that to God and watch how God will bless it. Because Satan wants us to look at what, church? What we lost, especially if we lost it because it was our fault. So we can live in shame and guilt and regret. But we have a God that says, just give me what you have, and I can still do something with it. Five loaves and two fish. What did Jesus do with it? Fed 5,000. Amen. Someone read their Bible. Some fishermen, that fish, a guy named Peter, what did God do with him? Amen. Saul, a guy persecuting the church of God, what did God do with him? Amen. Somebody read their Bible, an apostle. You know that God still exists today and is just waiting for people to give them what you have and watch what he'll do with you today, church. That's how we have hope. I want to give you another example. Genesis 35, there's a man named Jacob. Jacob married a woman named Rachel, but to get Rachel, Jacob had to work 14 years to get Rachel. He had to do seven years, get her, and then do seven more years. Anybody ever worked that hard to get a wife? You think it's hard for you, right? Getting rejected a couple times and buying some movie tickets and some dinners, right? No, he worked 14 years. And finally, he finally gets to get away from the crazy in-laws, Rachel's crazy family. They have a child named Joseph. Then they have a second child named Benjamin. And here it is again, right after the second child. While having the second child, while giving birth, Rachel dies. The love of Jacob's life dies. In Genesis chapter 35, verse 19, the word of God says, So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Over her tomb, Jacob set up a pillar. And to this day, that pillar marks Rachel's tomb. Israel, it's Jacob's name after he was blessed by God, if you don't know. Same man, Jacob, blessed by God. God changed Jacob's name to Israel. Israel moved on again. There it is. Moved on again and pitched his tent beyond Migdal Eder. Now, why am I reading you this verse this morning, church? Stay with me for a moment. I know this is a different sermon, but stay with me for a moment. If Jacob, in verse 19, when Rachel died, said, you know what? I'm not going to keep moving around anymore trying to find out what God wants me to do. I'm going to stay here with Rachel. I'm going to stay here like this pillar I set up. I'm going to live in the place where Rachel died. I can't move on anymore. I can't, I can't go forward anymore. Rachel, the woman I spent 14 years trying to marry, is gone. I can't move on anymore. Have you ever felt like that before? I have. I'm not doing this anymore because the loss is so great, I can't move on. I'm going to stay here at this tomb, live in this city, and stop moving. If Israel does that, 
he never lives to see his son Joseph become the second most powerful man in Egypt. If Israel does that, church, Joseph may not even become the second most powerful man in Egypt because he may not be where he needs to be for God to do that for him. God may have to use somebody else. If Israel doesn't do this, how can Joseph save his 11 brothers, which make up the 12 tribes of Israel that make the whole nation of Israel that we have today? All these people are dependent on Israel being able to move on and continue to follow God. But again, I'm not a naive preacher. I've lost before. That ain't easy to do, church. And some of us are still sitting in the same place because that loss happened 30 years ago and we never recovered from it. Yeah, we've moved on physically, but we haven't moved on emotionally. We've moved on physically, but we haven't moved on spiritually because we ain't going to touch that place with God no more. Because the last time we touched that place with God, we got hurt. We failed. We fell on our face and everybody saw it. So now, you know what? I'm not, I'm not going that place with God. I'm not going there anymore with God. Satan wants to keep us. He wants to keep us in a place where we lost, but God wants to take us to the place where we gain and where others gain and where he gets the glory for that gain. But it's not easy. And it's interesting. A pastor named Stephen one time was talking to me about this verse, and he said, it's interesting. It says, Jacob set up the pillar. And everything in this verse that talks about when Rachel died talks about Jacob. But in verse 24, I mean, verse 21, the Bible says, Israel moved on. Verse 21, we're not calling Jacob Jacob anymore. We're calling Jacob Israel. That's, that's Jacob, the new man, after he's blessed by God. And Stephen told me one day, he said, you know what? You know what? Verse 21 is calling Jacob Israel because that's Jacob blessed by God because Jacob couldn't move on without God. And what I'm saying to you is whether you agree with that or not is, church, stay with me. There are some things we cannot move on without God. Israel had God's blessing. And today, if you're in Jesus Christ, you have God's blessing. Amen? I'm going to say it again. If you're in Christ Jesus today, you have God's blessing over your life. Amen? And you got to tap into that to move on. And some of the reasons we don't move on is we're trying to move on as Jacob instead of move on as Israel. We're trying to move on without the blessing, favor, and power of God. And that's where Satan wants to keep you. But I'm here to tell you this morning, through Jesus Christ, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Amen? And we can keep moving if we move with the Lord. It says Israel moved on again. And I know that's talking about geographical, but metaphorically, I even think this is talking about Israel's life because Israel had to move on from a lot of stuff. Go, go to chapter, go to verse 1, chapter 35 with me. In verse 1 of chapter 35, Israel talks about this. Israel says uh, a lot of things, and remember Israel is Jacob, in the first verse of the 35th chapter of Genesis, the Bible says, then God said to Jacob, watch this church, go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. When Jacob deceived his brother Esau and got the birthright from him, and Esau was ready to kill him, what does God say? 
God said, God did what? He appeared to Jacob when? When he was fleeing from your brother Esau. God was with Jacob during that time. Even though Jacob made a horrible mistake, even though Jacob lied and deceived his brother, he's fleeing from his brother. Who appears to him then? Who, church? And what I'm saying to you this morning is when we make those mistakes, when we sin, when we get in trouble, that same God will appear in our life. Amen. And it, keep reading. Verse 2 says, so Jacob said to his household and to all who were there with him, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you. That's what we need to do today in 2020, by the way. And change and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let us go to Bethel, where I will build an altar to God who answered me, look at this, who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. What is Jacob's testimony? That God answered him in his time of distress because God is with him everywhere he ever went. And if you have the blessing of Jesus Christ in your life today, I want to ask you something. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. God with us everywhere we go. Even when we go to wrong places and we're messed up and Esau's chasing us, we have a God who's with us. And Jacob knew that. So Jacob said, God, who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I go, he relied on God. And I'm telling you, when you face loss, failure, and trials in life, in your day of distress, in other words, you have a God who will be with you. And some of us today are facing a day of distress. We have some distressed people in this auditorium today, some distressed folks. But if you're in Christ Jesus, Emmanuel means God with us, and God is with you in this moment. But like Jacob, you better lean on him. Because Jacob became Israel because God blessed him. And we become children of God because God blesses us through Jesus Christ. And if you will tap into Jesus Christ today, just like God gave Jacob the ability to keep moving, he'll give you the ability to keep moving too. I remember when I was a kid, my parents had this big dream. We lived in Hathaway Manor North in St. Louis. They had this big dream to move us up to Barrington Downs in this two-story house and go into a different high school and everything. Church was only two minutes from the house that we were going to live in. And we actually sold the house, well, my parents sold the house in Hathaway Manor North. Selling the house was hard, especially back then. It wasn't a buyer's market back then. or You know, it's, it's kind of crazy, you know. And it basically, what, or it wasn't a seller's market back then. So they're cleaning the house every day, you know, waiting for somebody to come look at the house, and nobody ever shows up. You guys remember that back in the day? But they finally sold the house. My mom and dad were so excited about this accomplishment. I remember coming home from school one day. You know how you have that sign in your house that says, sold? The sign was gone. And the realtor was talking to my mom about God and how God is there for you. And I walk in, and then my mom and dad tell me that my dad just lost his job. They don't have enough money to move into the new house. We're staying in Hathaway Manor North. Huge letdown. Dad would go from having a great job to having to work three jobs. It was a very difficult time in my parents' marriage and in their life. But God was with my parents wherever they went. And God got my parents through that difficult time. Maybe you're going through that difficult time right now. I'd love to give you my parents' number to talk to you about their testimony. But then, fast forward, dad gets a good job. They get enough money. They finally move out of Hathaway Matter North into Burrington Downs, that house, 
It's a different house, but same neighborhood, two minutes away from the church. Everything's great now. Everything's good now. That's when Chris dies, their son, my older brother. Dang, here we go again. Can't catch a break. Thought it was going to be all good now. Thought the story at some point gets good where the three kids come home for Christmas and we're all talking about how we finally got into Barrington Downs. Well, we got into Barrington Downs, but we would love to stay at Hathaway Manor North if we still had Chris. But life didn't work that way for him. But God was with my parents wherever they went. And through that, my dad becomes an elder of a church and matures spiritually in ways I've never seen. And my mom grows. And now at my friend Adrian Epton's funeral, I told you guys I was at last month, they're comforting Adrian Epton's mother because they already lost a son. Because that's what their ministry now is, comforting people through loss, letting them know that God was with them. And even though life is hard and you don't know how you're going to move on, if you just give it to God, he will give you the power to move on. Yeah, story didn't go the way that they wanted on earth. But guess what? Heaven's not on earth. That's why we look forward to going there. Amen. But we won't get there if we don't move on with the Lord. If we stay in, in the place Satan wants us to go, when things go bad, we don't get to heaven. We end up like Judas instead of Peter, you know? And some of us today, man, you may be tired of it just like my parents were. You're going to church, you're trying to be a Christian, and you never get a break like the people next door keep getting breaks who, who aren't Christians. That's okay. Our breaks in eternity, amen? God is with us wherever we go. We just have to stay with him. I want to share something with you, and I wrote it down so I don't mess it up, so please let me read it. Because I'm talking to somebody today. I don't know who it is, but I'm talking to somebody. And here's what I wanted to read to you specifically. After suffering loss, Satan doesn't want you to move on with God. So he will try to make you mad at God. Or he will try to disconnect you with God. So either you don't move on or you don't move on in a healthy way. And there is somebody in this room. I was writing this sermon at 3 a.m. in the morning. I was like, there is somebody that's going to be here today, I believe, that is mad at God because things went wrong. And I'm telling you, that's Satan's whole plan. Because God's with you wherever you go, but you got to be with him too for you to get to where you need to go. Amen? And what Satan wants you to do is be mad and disconnected with the only person who can help you right now. And I'm telling you, Satan is a liar. God didn't want that to happen more than you didn't want that to happen. God didn't want my brother to die more than my parents didn't want my brother to die because God loves my brother more than my parents love my brother, you know? You want to be mad at somebody, be mad at Satan, okay? You want to be mad at somebody, be mad at sin. It's okay to be mad, but don't project it on God, the Savior who loves you. That, that's Satan's trap to disconnect you from your only chance to get out of hell and get into heaven, okay? I don't know who that's for, but I believe it's for everybody, amen? So the final question is, Okay, preacher, give me something practical. You say I got to move on with God. How do I move on with God? Well, here we go. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You want to be connected to God? You want to know how to move on with God? After you have loss, trials, and failures, you got to stop and you got to rejoice. Rejoice in what, preacher? That God is with you wherever you go. That it's not the end, it's the beginning. That God works for the good of all those who, what, love him. That our eternity is in heaven. And no eye has seen, 
No ear is heard, no mind is conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. And God loved us enough to die for us, to save us and give us that. Rejoice in the Lord. Even if you don't want to, do it because that's how you move with the Lord. And pray continually. Keep praying. I'm not saying pray once a day. I'm saying pray once a minute. And I'm not saying it got to be a long, drawn-out preacher prayer. (laughs) Say, God, I need you. I love you. Help me. Another minute. God, I need you. I love you. Help me. If you overcome any addiction, suicide thought, anger problem, or stress that you have, praying to God more than worrying about your problem. You know what? Pray instead of worry. Entertain the thoughts of prayer instead of the thoughts of worry, and God will be with you wherever you go. Three, give thanks in all circumstances. As bad as it is, there's always something to be thankful for. That's what keeps us from committing suicide and going crazy, looking at what we do have. Adam said, you know what? I'm thankful my wife is still with me because his wife could have left him. People think Adam and Eve are the only people on earth. How? When Cain married another woman. How? When Seth married another woman. There are other people. But when you look at what you have and you're thankful for what you, ha- when you're thankful for what you have, you begin to use it. Amen? But if all you look at is what you don't have because you're not being thankful, you're going to miss out on the resources God has around you. Amen? So, so, so we give thanks in all circumstances, even the difficult ones. Next one, 1 Peter 5, 7, I believe it is. Yes, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Who has anxiety today? I know I do. I know there are some things. We're not supposed to, right? Oh, Chris, no, come on, give me a break. Why, why is Peter saying cast all your anxiety on him? He's saying it because we're going to have it. Okay? St. Paul who says, you know, we're, we're not in despair, earlier said we were in despair of our life in Corinthians. It happens, okay? And when we have that anxiety, don't fear it. Cast it. Cast it on who, church? Jesus, because he cares for you. I want you to take that anxiety you have right now about the loss, the failure, or the trial you're facing. I want you to cast it on God because he's with you wherever you go. And you know what? He cares for you, the Bible says. He will care for you. But you got to stay with him, amen? Give me the next one, Mel. 2 Timothy 4, 2. Church, listen. This is the one we're scared to do. Preach the word. I promise this is not just for preachers. There wasn't even the role of preacher back then. You know that? It wasn't. That's anybody can preach, okay? Amen? Anybody can tell somebody about the gospel of Jesus Christ, amen? Anybody can take the Bible and tell somebody what it says. Preach the word, not the emotions, not the superficial pep talk, but the word, meaning the word of God. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. That means when Rachel is alive or when Rachel dies. In season or out of season. Be prepared in season and out of season. Do what, church? Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Don't think somebody can't be saved by your preaching while you're going through difficulties. Your difficulties make people listen to you more sometimes when they see you going through it, okay? Glenn, what you say right now, Greg, what you say right now, people are going to listen to more because they see what you're going through. You know what I mean? And when we preach that word wherever we go, God is with us to help us give that word out. Amen? In and out of season, we preach it, okay? Here's the final one. This is what David did after he lost his child. David in the Bible said, Then David got up from the ground after he had washed, put on lotions, and changed his clothes. He went to the house of the Lord and worshiped. We worship God. We worship God after loss. We worship God after failure. And we worship God after trials. Why? Because he's with us wherever we go. 
And if you would do those four scriptures, you will be with God wherever you go. And you know what? God will take care of you just like he took care of Jacob, Naomi, Ruth, and everybody else in the Bible who decided to stay with God through the loss, failure, or trial. And there is hope at the end of their stories. And there's hope for you at the end of your story. But we got to do our part. In church, what's our part? Right there. Those four scriptures. If we take these things serious during difficult times in life, I promise we overcome the difficult times in life. After something bad happens to me, I have a choice. I have a choice. I can do what the world wants or I can do that. And when I take time and I actually rejoice after a bad day or during a bad day, when I take the time and I pray continually, when I take the time and I give thanks in all circumstances, when I actually take the time and cast my anxiety on God instead of keep it bottled up in my own chest, when I take the time and preach the word like today or on Tuesday or Thursday, when I don't think I can preach the word to somebody, I don't think I have a word for anybody, I remember the word's already been written for me, I just have to repeat it. When I do that, and then when I take time and worship God, even in the hospital, even during difficult times, you know what happens? God changes me. Even if he doesn't change my circumstances, he changes me. Church, listen, this is no lie. I get a hope and I get a peace that I never had before I did those things. But every time I do those things, I get a hope and a peace that I didn't have before. And I'm telling you, that hope and that peace is available. We just got to do our part to move on with God. I don't know if you need to take a picture of this. I don't know if you need to write down, jot down these scriptures. But I'm telling you, if you do this, this is transformational. This will bring you out of negativity into positivity. It will bring you out of despair into hope. It will bring you out of thinking I can't until you're thinking that I can. And there's somebody who's not here today that needs you to share this with them today, okay? There's somebody that's here today that's going to forget this on Tuesday and you're friends with them. You need to remind them of this sermon on Tuesday. Okay, there's somebody looking for hope in everything except Jesus because they don't understand how to practically come to Jesus. These scriptures tell us how to practically come to Jesus during difficult times to have some hope, church. When I bring God into it, God always brings me through it. And what we got to do, church, is know how to bring God into it so he can bring us through it. And these scriptures are not just beautiful artwork. This is how we bring God into it, so he brings us through it. This stops suicide. This stops people from becoming atheists. This stops people from coming to church buildings, but leaving the church body. This is what I need my ministry leaders to do to get that revitalization. That's what I need my parents to do to get that power. That's what I need my married couples to do. That's what I need my single people to do to stay pure. We go to God, amen. Last thing I'm going to read, then I'm done. In and out of season. It's always the right time to rejoice in the Lord. It's always the right time to pray. It's always the right time to be thankful. And it's always the right time to cast your anxieties on the Lord. It's always the right time to preach. And it's always the right time to worship. Satan wants you to think that you can't do these things while you're hurting. But you better do these things while you're hurting, or Satan will destroy you while you're hurting. But if you do these things while you're hurting, God will restore you and revive you while you're hurting. You just got to let him. Now put this sermon to the test. Put what I just said to the test, and you have a greater testimony than me, and I will sit down and listen to it one day. Dear Jesus, I know I can't change it, 
but you can help me accept it and move on to a brighter tomorrow with hope in my heart. What's your it, that thing you can't change, but you must accept, you must move on from to get to that brighter tomorrow with hope in your heart? What's your it? Let's give it to God. Let's bring God into it. You bring him into it, he'll bring you through it. If we can help you get to him in any way, we invite you to please come now as we stand and sing.